0: Father, we pray that the power of the cross would be borne upon us today, that we might know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. Amen. Please be seated. Life is filled with a lot of pain. Wars snuff out young men and women. Innocent victims are often caught in the crossfires of hate and violence. We read and we hear stories of innocent children being abused of young children being sold into the sex trade. We, we know of the uh, reality of disasters in our world. Tsunamis, floods, hurricanes, plane crashes, and 50 families are left to mourn and grieve the doctor looks us in the eye and says, it's terminal. People we thought we could trust turn against us, betray us. The job that you thought was so secure a year ago now doesn't exist anymore. You're left scrambling for some way to keep your family afloat. In some of these times, we, we may well question whether God is still with us. We don't maybe feel God's presence with us. We may feel abandoned, forsaken, deserted, left alone. At the very least, we question God about what's happening, why it's happening What's going on with these things in our world and in our lives? And there are times in life where where it feels as though God is silent, unseen. It's this unseen silence that we see so clearly as Jesus struggles on the cross. The hours have passed, and the end is near. With the last gasps of air left in his collapsing lungs, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me alone? Why have you deserted me? Why have you abandoned me? You know, there are a lot of opinions about exactly what's going on in these words that Jesus speaks. And we certainly don't have time to get into all the theories. There have been books written about this. But I'm convinced that as Jesus takes upon himself the sin of the world, that he truly feels abandoned by God. You know the feeling when you've done something that you know is wrong, and then all of a sudden the reality of that hits you, the reality of what you've done and the consequences of that just sort of wash over you in surging waves. And all of a sudden you are overwhelmed with guilt and shame and remorse about what you've done and consequences of it. We we know that feeling. Jesus has never known that feeling. Jesus has never disappointed his heavenly father. Jesus has never disobeyed his heavenly father. Jesus has never made a selfish, self-centered decision in his life. But now as he hangs on the cross He comes full force with the reason he came into the world in the first place. To take upon himself the sins of the world. And now for the first and only time in his life, he feels guilt and shame and remorse that always accompanies sin. And ultimately, Jesus experiences the natural result of sin. Separation. Separation from God. From the choice of Adam and Eve in the garden to this very day, sin has always caused separation. Separation from others against whom we sin. And always separation from God because all sin is ultimately against God. Our sin causes separation from God, not because God has changed, but because we have. It's not because God has changed toward us, but because we have changed toward God. It's not because God no longer desires relationship with with us or is repulsed by us. But it's because we have decided that we prefer choosing sin over God. God. And because of sin in our lives, we begin to think about God differently than we would otherwise. Isn't this Adam and Eve's situation in the garden? When they sin, they immediately feel separated from God. It changes their relationship. So when God comes calling for them, as he does every evening, they hide. Because of their sin, they no longer hear God's question, where are you? As an innocent inquiry. But now they view it as an accusation. Now, you understand, many of the circumstances that bring pain into our lives and cause us to wonder about God's presence in our lives, a lot of those things are not the direct result of sin we've committed. Some things happen simply because we live in a fallen world with fallen people. Some things are the direct result of other people's sin or the direct result of someone else's negligence. Some of it is simply because we live in a world that is winding down in some form or another. But our ability to handle it, our ability to see God despite what we're facing, our ability to understand the truth of the situations that we're facing, it's all damaged because we are tainted by sin. And our ability to process things clearly is twisted by sin. Sin damages our ability to hear and to see God clearly. Sin twists our spiritual receptors. It creates static in our spiritual receptors. And it prevents us from hearing and seeing God clearly. So when Jesus takes on the sin of the world, he experiences the result of sin as if he had actually committed those sins himself. So for the first time Jesus' spiritual receptors are damaged. And the Father keeps keeps whispering, "I love you. I'm with you." But it's hard for Jesus to hear. And he cries out, "My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Forsaken me, deserted me. Left me alone." You'll notice that after Jesus cries out, verse 35 says, that some of the people standing nearby, probably representatives of the religious leaders, think that Jesus is calling Elijah. It's important to understand that that the Jews see Elijah as the deliverer. Even to this day, when the Seder is celebrated, there's an empty chair at the table, there's an open door in the room, in anticipation of Elijah's return and his rescue. And the people standing around the cross think that Jesus is asking for help. And when we're in distress, help me God, it's one of the most basic prayers we can pray. Help me God is a prayer that we sometimes need to pray. But if help me God is our primary prayer, and perhaps it reveals a, a shallow image of God who, is, who comes only and is in our lives only to rescue us from problems. That prayer implies, God, I want you to do what I need you to do and I'd really like for you to do it now. But the prayer, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is a prayer of honesty that sees God not so much as a cosmic rescuer who removes difficulties and troubles from our lives, but as one with whom we have intimate relationship. So intimate, we can be honest. We can be honest. There's a level of spiritual maturity that moves us from help me God to why have you abandoned me God? You really can't you can't ask about abandonment if you haven't experienced his presence before. And we will not feel comfortable questioning God honestly unless we have some level of experience in relationship in knowing God intimately. Why have you deserted me, God? is a prayer of confidence that God isn't going to condemn us for being honest. And in fact, often this honest prayer is the prayer that leads us into the deeper things of God. Sometimes all we can pray is, God, help me. Sometimes that's, that's the most adequate thing we can do. But eventually, we need to keep moving out of that prayer, that most basic prayer, to a deeper prayer that reveals our intimacy, relationship with God. The one with whom we can be brutally honest and the one upon whom we can ultimately place our trust to be and to do what is good and right and just. If Jesus at this lowest moment of his life is honest with God, surely shouldn't we be as well? It's often in this sense of honesty that we are finally open to receive and to hear the truth that God needs to say to us and what God needs to do in us. In her book, God's Welcome, Amy Oden tells of a man named Doug who was diagnosed with stage three cancer. And he felt betrayed by God. Doug had worked hard to live a life pleasing to God. He went to church, he served as a deacon, he volunteered in the local soup kitchen, he prayed regularly, he tried to follow the scriptures. He did did the right things. But in the back of his mind was always this thought, wouldn't his obedience be rewarded with blessing? And now he was thinking, what sort of God was this who allowed his faithful servant to get cancer? Bill thought he'd been doing the right thing, living his life the right way. And now he was beginning to think that maybe God doesn't play fair. But the first couple of weeks, he was too confused and stunned really to talk about it. But as the days and weeks progressed, his emotions began to well up inside of him more and more. And finally, one day, he just exploded. And he really let God have it. He was a bit surprised at himself. And he realized in that moment that actually his outburst had probably been his most honest conversation with God that he'd ever had. And that honest conversation with God started him down the road of a whole new relationship with God. As he moved through the treatment, he had to let go of much of what he thought he believed about God, that God made good people's lives easy and only brought hardship to bad people. The God's main concern was that Doug lived by the rules, and that's what the relationship was about, rules. That his suffering might somehow indicate that God had abandoned him. Doug finally came to the place where he could say that his cancer, in some way, was the doorway to a new life where he had a new understanding of God and of God's work in his life. He began to discover that that God loves him not as a cosmic judge who's waiting for us to to obey rules, but like a father loves a child. All the time, 24-7, not just when the child obeys. He came to know God's presence, not just in formal prayer or scripture study, but in the chemo chair, in the doctor's waiting room, in the nausea, in the wakeful nights, in the nurses, in the support group. And this God was so much more powerful and present than he had ever known. And he was a God who was far more available, who didn't abandon him in his suffering. And he said, in an odd way, the disruption of the cancer had forced him to lose so much of his life and yet at the same time gain so much of real life. And sometimes it's not until we feel abandoned, until we've experienced the full weight of the consequences of our sin, until we're honest with God about ourselves and about our feelings, We come to realize how much we need God. It wasn't easy for the Father to allow Jesus to endure all of this on the cross. This sense of separation, I think it broke the Father's heart, just as it breaks his heart when we're separated from him. I mean, you think about it, it breaks our heart as parents. Think about my my children. It breaks my heart to see them struggling and hurting. You remember back to those days when you take your child to the doctor's office to get a shot and they're crying and screaming and asking you to keep that from happening. It's breaking your heart, but you know they need the shot. And so you do it. And you want to take them away, but you know it's not the right thing to do. And if we as human parents feel this way about our children, how much more our perfect father in heaven. When all the stuff of life causes us to wonder about God, we have to come to realize that the heart of our faith rests in God's promise that he is always with us. Whether we feel it, or not, Whether we sense it or not. That, that promise has been God's bedrock promise through the ages with all of his people. Moses tells the Israelites, the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. God tells Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The psalmist writes, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. The Apostle Paul writes to the Romans, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? For I am convinced that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's because of who God is faithful, good, loving that we trust with confidence that even when we're in the difficult times, He is with us. C.S. Lewis once wrote, We trust not because a God exists, we trust because this God exists. So, despite Jesus' cry of despair, In the end, his last words are, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, I place my life into your hands. Trust, even when we can't see. Faith, even when we can't feel. As we move through the weeks of Lent, we focus on the cross, and we think about the people who stand around the cross it's imperative that we remember two truths. The first is that in some form or another, because of our commonality as sinful human beings, we are every person present at the cross. Every face that's looking at Jesus is in some form you and me. And second, as all of these events unfold, God, the unseen face, is present to redeem us, to help us, to do good in the midst of unbridled evil. If the face of God is absent, nothing else matters. Everything is futile without God. But if God is present at the cross, present at the place where sin reaches its greatest place of pain and destruction, place where grief reaches its deepest hurt and despair, place where injustice reaches its harshest conv- convulsion and hopelessness. If God is there, then God is here with us. And In fact, Jesus comes to earth and hangs on the cross. It's the ultimate proof that God is with us. God never promises to eliminate our pain. He never promises that being his child eliminates our pain. But he does promise that through all we endure, he will be with us. And if he is with us, that's enough. It's because God is with us that we are celebrating the Lord's Supper each of the Sundays of Lent. That that might be something uncommon. For you, But Jesus says to do this in remembrance of him. And during the season of Lent, we want to do everything possible to remember him. One of the ancient terms for the Lord's Supper is Eucharist, which means give thanks. And when we come and eat and drink, we're reminded that there is always a reason to give thanks. In the general sense, we give thanks that Jesus has died on the cross in order to redeem us from our sin. And specifically, we give thanks that the cross tells us that God is always with us. And every time we come to this table, it's an act of faith. In which we declare that God is good, even when we might question. That God is present, even when we don't see. That God is at work, even when we can't feel. We come and we eat the bread and we drink the cup. Because even in our darkest moments, even in the most painful experiences, even in our deepest doubts, we come because we believe. We believe that that he who sent his son to die for our sins then isn't going to abandon us now. The bread and the cup are the witness of God's gracious presence. Please pray with me. Most holy and gracious God, in infinite love, you made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, in the fullness of time, you sent Jesus Christ, your only son, to redeem the world. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in our likeness. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. He took upon himself our sin and death and offered himself a perfect sacrifice for the sin of the whole world by his life he broke the power of sin and by his death he conquered death and by his resurrection he gave us eternal life on the night he was delivered to suffering and death he took bread gave thanks to you broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said take eat As we recall your son's suffering and death, resurrection and ascension, as we look forward to his coming in glory, we ask you to accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. The sacrifice which we offer in union with Christ's sacrifice for us as a living and holy surrender of our very selves. Send the power of your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts that in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup, we may know the presence of the living Christ, be renewed as his body, cleansed from sin by his blood, and serve you in unity, fidelity, and joy until you bring us with all your saints into the fullness of your eternal kingdom. Amen.